In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In the Gospel today we hear, Simon Peter fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And Jesus said to Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Many of you have been listening to my sermons long enough to know that the fourth Sunday after Pentecost is a quiet but joyful anniversary for my classmates and me. This year I sent them all a message to wish them a blessed 19th anniversary of our taking of the cassock. It was on this Sunday, liturgically, back in 2004, when we set aside our lay clothes for the last time and took on the somber but dignified cloth of the cleric. Except, of course, for priestly ordinations, this ceremony is often the most tearful moment for the families who attend all the ceremonies that week in Gricciliano. They know their sons will never look the same again. They have left shore to cast out into the deep. Over a year ago, I preached to you about the meaning of vocation. I explained that when St. Paul exhorted his flock to walk in a manner worthy of the vocation to which you were called, he was speaking of the vocation we all have without exception, the general vocation to holiness. All are called to engage in the spiritual combat. For we are assured that no one will be crowned who has not fought well. All are called to do battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. All are called to cooperate with the grace they have received and allow the wounds of original sin to be healed, treating the concupiscence of the flesh, the concupiscence of the eyes, and the pride of life by applying the remedies of fasting and mortification the spiritual and corporal works of mercy and prayer. Embracing this vocation is nothing other than choosing the master you will serve in this world, knowing that whichever master you serve now is the one with whom you will spend all eternity. Yet as we were told on the day of our baptism, the yoke we take up is not harsh, but light and sweet. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Such is your glorious calling, all you who go by the name of Christian. The old law of bondage has been set aside, and we rejoice in the liberty of the children of God. Within this new law of liberty, there are various paths one may go down while still being entirely faithful to our Divine Master. Some, indeed most faithful disciples who reach adulthood, mindful of God's work of creation and the institution he founded between men and women from the beginning, choose to participate in that work of creation and embrace the married state, 
Nowadays, this is often referred to as the marriage vocation. It is not, however, properly speaking, a vocation apart from the general call to holiness. It is a natural state of life, made supernatural by the help of the sacrament of matrimony. It is one that you are free to embrace, provided that there are no impediments. You are not required to do so. Indeed, you are invited by our Savior himself to embrace what has always been known as the evangelical councils. In the Gospel, our Master proposes to all his disciples the most perfect way, the great foretaste of heaven, the life of poverty, chastity, and obedience. As Christians, we must all obey the commandments. We must be free from greed and impurity and respect and obey our parents and lawful superiors. But we may also choose to accept our Lord's invitation to live without any earthly belongings, in perfect virginity, and in total obedience to a superior within the Church. Church law has traditionally stated quite clearly that no baptized person with the proper dispositions can be barred from embracing this state of perfection. Of course, this right of the baptized does not mean that you may march right into any convent or monastery that you choose. The superiors of religious houses have the duty to try the vocations of those who present themselves for admittance. There, a specific vocation is added to the more general invitation of the gospel. And we observe that the ineffable providence of God has so disposed that many devout Catholics do not ever embrace the religious state here on earth. Thomas More and Margaret Clitheroe were the saints they were meant to be, as were Thomas Aquinas and Margaret Mary Alacoque. Nevertheless, if you are hearing these words today and are unmarried with your whole life before you, I ask you gently as a father, have you considered the religious life? And if not, why not? When we talk about the priesthood, we are considering the word vocation in the strictest sense. It is different from the general vocation to holiness, which is necessary for eternal life, and which includes the choice of getting married or remaining single. It also differs from the invitation extended to all to observe the evangelical councils. What we are talking about here is God calling a very few men from out of millions of others, including millions of devout men, to leave behind the natural way of men and have God alone as their portion. A person embraces the religious state in order to work out his or her own salvation more securely. A man becomes a priest for the salvation of others, and so he is called to be an example of holiness to all. This is the vocation I wish to speak to you about today, the vocation to be a minister of Christ and dispenser of the mysteries of God, to be a good shepherd and a fisher of men, to be a priest of Jesus Christ.
In the Old Testament, all the other Hebrew tribes were given a portion of the promised land to inhabit. The sons of Levi, the priestly tribe, were appointed to serve in the temple and offer sacrifice so that they had the Lord alone for their lot. As the young, joyful, priestly voice sings in the 15th Psalm, the Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. It is thou who will restore to me my heritage. These are the words which every young man has heard chanted for centuries as he casts off his worldly wares and dons the cassock, having his head tonsured to show that he is henceforth cut off from the vanities of this short life. The black cassock signifies death to the world, and the white surplice worn over it, the putting on of the new man, who, as St. Paul teaches, is created according to God in justice and holiness of truth. It is the highest calling on earth, never earned, but freely given by him who dispenses his graces according to his eternal wisdom. The priesthood cannot be seized upon as a sort of career choice. For again, St. Paul teaches in his epistle to the Hebrews, every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in the things that appertain to God that he may offer up gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on them that are ignorant and that err, because he himself is also encompassed with infirmity. And therefore he ought, as for the people, also for himself, to offer for sins. Neither doth any man take the honor to himself, but he that is called by God, as Aaron was. Are most men called to receive the sacrament of holy orders and ascend to the eternal high priesthood of Jesus Christ? No. Do I believe that some young men in this church today are called to that holy priesthood? Yes, I do. And I pray, my sons, that you will answer that call. And in order that you may discern clearly your calling, I want to warn you against what I fear is an all-too-common attitude, even amongst good practicing Catholics. As often happens when it comes to a religious vocation, we sometimes hear young men speaking of how they should rule out a priestly vocation before they proceed to marriage and a career in the world. Of course, that is the right order of events. Priesthood and religious life are the higher states, and should be considered first, though sometimes God may choose to call a person even in the midst of a courtship or an engagement. But many young men seem to think of discerning a vocation as an unpleasant duty to be carried out reluctantly, like a medical examination. They fear the priestly calling, like some sort of severe genetic defect, which if discovered will surely deprive them of all happiness in this world. I myself remember being told by more than one Catholic, though I sought no such reassurance, don't worry, maybe God isn't calling you to the priesthood after all. And very often today, the church at large seems to feel the need to apologize for the priesthood of Jesus Christ. 
and thinks that the only way to lure men into it is to promise them that they will find it just as fulfilling and fun as careers in the world. At the very least, they say, it's worth a try. If your preacher is here before you today, it is largely because one holy priest told him before he entered seminary, it's not worth a try. It's worth a stay. When you pray for your vocation, don't pray with timidity and self-seeking. Pray with humility, courage, and generosity. Very well, Father, you might reply. You don't just want me to rule out a priestly vocation like checking off a box. You want me to discern with an open heart. Well, how do I do that? In explaining the call to the priesthood, we do well to distinguish between two sorts of calling, although with a true vocation they are always in harmony. The vocation from God and the canonical vocation. The vocation from God is a movement of grace within the soul of man, prompting him, though not forcing him, toward entry into the clerical state and the reception of the sacrament of holy orders. Like the religious vocation, this movement of grace is something far above a mere feeling or attraction to this particular way of life. That is why, my sons, and I insist on this point in case you have any doubts, the fact that you notice girls and sometimes think about getting married and having a family does not mean that you don't have a priestly vocation. Having thoughts like that just shows that you're a normal, healthy man. And believe me, the priesthood has no place for any other kind. God may be calling you away from that good and natural way of life to something supernatural. And supernatural grace doesn't destroy the man you are. It builds on it and perfects it. In order to hear God's voice, keep yourself from sin, receive the sacraments frequently, and pray, giving yourself especially to silent prayer as often as possible, frequently visiting the Blessed Sacrament and listening to what the Master has to tell you. If you do these things, then you may begin to have some measure of trust in the thoughts that fill your mind. Perhaps now you begin to think of celebrating Mass, preaching, hearing confessions, rushing to the hospital to bring the sacraments to a dying person, baptizing hundreds of pagans in the missions. These are good and holy thoughts. And although you must be on your guard against mere passing fancies of vainglory, you now begin to tell God in prayer that you hope these thoughts come from him. God, however, does not call in a vacuum with no consideration for the order of things that he has established. He always calls in his church and through his church. That is why the church, guided by the wisdom of her divine spouse, has from the first instituted a course of formation, a series of grades, whether established by her or by Christ himself, 
whereby a man is carefully examined before being called to orders. A man does not approach this sacred clerical state in order to give it a trial. He comes with a vocation he has discerned through prayer, and it is in the seminary and the program of spiritual formation that his vocation is tried. If he perseveres, his final call to orders is what is known as the canonical vocation. It is the voice of God expressed through his ministers on earth, calling a man to step forward, kneel down, and receive the sacrament that makes him a participant in the one true priesthood of Jesus Christ. In order to undergo this period of formation fruitfully, he must be humble, generous of himself, and above all, honest. He must hide nothing from his confessor and spiritual director on the one hand or from his superiors on the other. He must lay his soul bare before his fathers in Christ so that the judgment of God and his vocation can be made manifest. If at every point of his formation he has been open and honest with the men set over him, and thus advances from tonsure to minor and then major orders, and the day finally comes when the archdeacon calls him forward to receive the imposition of hands from the ordaining bishop, then that man may be as sure as he is of anything here on earth that the vocation he first heard in prayer has truly come from God. So, my sons, my here today Beretta in hand, to ask you, please, to consider the priesthood? No. I am telling you to pray every day on your knees for the grace to know your vocation in life. And if God is calling you to the priesthood, to thank him with all your heart for giving you a grace which so few have received and calling you to the greatest, most supernatural state on earth, do I promise you that it will be just as pleasant a life as marriage, a family, and a career? Of course not. After all, any couple who has come to me for marriage preparation knows that I begin and end the months of instruction with the same words. Congratulations, you have found your cross. If I congratulate married people in this way, how much more would I apply these words to any young man who has answered the call to place every remaining moment of his life on Mount Calvary and conform himself entirely to Jesus Christ, priest and victim? I don't know any priest who would not admit to having shrunk from this calling at one point or another during his formation. Answering the call to the priesthood requires a courage and generosity which can only come from God's grace. St. John Vianney defined the priesthood simply as the love of the heart of Jesus. Again and again throughout life, every priest or future priest must ask himself, do I truly love the heart of my master? And if I do, why do I not want my heart to be where that heart is, pierced open on the cross, and pouring out its love for all men. To love 
to serve, to suffer. Behold the calling of the man ordained to pray, to heal, and to offer sacrifice. My sons, if you hear God's voice today, harden not your heart. Neither be afraid of your unworthiness. When we consider the great master we are called to serve, we are all tempted to cry out with Peter, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. The master replies, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Embrace your cross. For what I can promise you is that if you embrace your calling and follow your master to Calvary, you will possess a joy and a peace of soul which the world can never understand and which no man can take from you. I pray you will have the courage to answer when you hear those words, Come, follow me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen.